welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning again. Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be today. And I think we need to just go ahead and admit it. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We watch too much TV, don't we? Just, or okay, just me. Once again, always just me. No, we watch too much TV. And, and you know, there's these little dangerous things in TV called commercials. In fact, let's just do this. We're going to take a poll. How many of you are the kind of people that you'll watch TV and you just let the commercials play and you don't play as fast forward? Anybody like that in here? There's a few of us that are, we just watch TV and just the commercials come on and we just let it go on. How many of you do it the right way and you fast forward through the commercials because you rewarded it, recorded it? Anybody like that? A bunch of us like that, uh-huh, that's what I thought. You know, commercials are dangerous. I believe that this is what's threatening our society because commercials take something that you don't need and it convinces you that you need it. I've been tempted to buy women's shampoo. You know why? Because women's shampoo does magical things for hair. You know what men get? We get like shampoo, body wash, deodorant, all in one, steak sauce. You can use it for all the things. That's what men get. But, but you watch those commercials with women's shampoo and you're like, man, my hair could be voluminous or something like that. The, the worst, don't judge me. We're a family. I do these jokes for y'all and y'all judging me out there. The worst part though is food. Have you ever been sitting on your couch and you can't realize why all of a sudden pizza sounds so good? It's because that pizza commercial comes on and it's that one where they have that thing, they pull the pizza and the cheese stretches for like four and a half feet and you're like, oh, I want that. But, but that's not how it really goes. Did you guys know that there is an art that people are literally paid to make food look good on television? That, that two second clip of pizza or that two second clip of a hamburger on there takes them like four to five hours to prepare so it looks perfect. I, I've got an example coming up here, a picture. Like this is an actual advertisement and I'm not going to tell you which chain this came from. It's from a fast food restaurant. This is what they advertised. This came off a real commercial and a group of people got together and they wanted to compare the commercials to real life. So here's the commercial. It looks juicy. It looks crisp. I don't even know how they get the sauce to stay on it in that one little place. Like, like that looks good, right? But reality, next picture is that's what you get if you go to that restaurant. Like, we've all ate that burger, haven't we? That's what they really look like. And they, they even put up here that that's the most attractive angle they could get from that same restaurant. That's a real thing. I've got another picture coming up up here. This is a picture of a pool that's for sale. Don't they look happy? Mom's out there with the three kids and it's full of water and they're all smiling. And that's what the pool looks like. And it's outside the box. You're like, I want to buy that for my kids. But reality... Uh, that poor girl's summer has just been ruined. Like, you can't fit three people in that pool. You can't fit three cats in that pool. Like, that's, that's just a shame. Uh, this is called, RB, you can go ahead and take the pictures off. This is called false advertising. And while these examples probably aren't illegal, there is a, a degree of false advertising that is illegal. And what false advertising does is it tells you there's one thing in the box, but you open up the box and it's something different. And, and I wonder... I wonder if we've ever been guilty of false advertising with our faith. 
where what we have on the outside of us appears to be different than, than what's under us. We're advertising something that's not actually in the box. And, and as we're studying this series, this written in stone series, and we're going through the Ten Commandments, as I study this, is God is concerned if, if we advertise falsely. God is concerned if our, I don't even know how to word this, if our life burger looks juicy and wonderful and what we really are is that smashed down, I don't even know if it was food. He, he, he's concerned about that. And we're going to continue on through the commandments here. And we're going to look at commandment number three. So if you've got your Bible here, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. And this is verse seven, only one verse today. Here's what the verse says. It says, thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Uh, you guys, this is, this is kind of like commandment one. You know, we talked about that first commandment where they're like, you know what, Brian, I've got that one done. We can move on to commandment number two. And, and especially if you grew up in church culture, this one may seem easy to you based on what you've been caught for. Like, Brian, I've got the Lord's name vain and thing like down. Can we move on to the next one? But I, I really wanted to dig into this because the placement seems odd to me for what we've been taught this commandment means. Like we have two commandments that are focused completely on being exclusive with God, a really deep biblical concept. And then the next one is like, be careful how you say my name. It seems a little bit odd that God would go from a, such a huge truth to such a little small action here. And so I think the placement tells me that this is the extension of the same thought when it comes to being exclusive with God. And I think it's deeper than what we interpret it. Because if we're honest, we've relegated this to cussing, right? Don't, don't use the, the name of God as a cuss word. That's, that's what we think of when we tell people, oh, I don't like it when people use God's name in vain. We're thinking, oh, people use that inappropriately. Let's just go ahead and be honest, Christians. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, blessings don't just flow out of your mouth at that moment, do they? And I'm not going to accuse you of breaking some kind of huge rule here. But, but what, it, what we tend to do and what people tend to do is we use those kind of moments to, to represent something bad that happens to us when we're angry or when we're hurt. And that's the things that fall out of this. And the Bible tells us God, God's not happy with that. God doesn't want that coming from our mouth. He doesn't want us talking that way. When Jesus began to pray in the Lord's Prayer, when, when he begins to pray and he's, he's teaching me and you how to pray the way that we should approach God, how does he start? He starts with, hallowed be thy name. That means holy, respected, and honored. God's name is important, and it's better, it's better than just something that we use as a cuss word. But, but I wonder, what is it about God's name that is so important? Is it just because, well, this is a word that identifies someone, and so you can't use it for that? What is a name? And what is God's name? And we use a name for a lot of reasons. We use it as an identifier, right? Like we use it to address people. Like Tiffany, I see you sleeping back there. Wake up. This Tiffany, not that Tiffany. Like, like that's, that's what we do is we use it to get somebody's attention. We use it as an identifier to somebody else. Like y'all, I saw somebody mowing the yard. Brian, who did you see mowing the yard? Well, it was Danny. I saw Danny up here mowing the yard the other day. And we use a name for those reasons. But if you think about it, isn't a name just a little bit deeper than that? Because a name begins to embody somebody's traits. Have you ever said something like this? Like you're telling a story of somebody who did something dumb and everyone's like, yeah, that's just Brian. Like that name just represents just, just being dumb or that name represents a trait. What if I come up to you today and I said, oh, so-and-so is just a Judas. 
That's a, that's a name. When we talked about Judas a few weeks ago, we talked about the name Judas, but it doesn't represent the person. It represents the traits of the person. And so no, calling somebody a Judas represents uh, calling them a betrayer. And so names embody more than just, more than just a way of identifying people. They embody their traits. This is our first take-home truth, is that God's name is a personal identity that identifies him and his traits. And so when we talk about God, whether we call him God, while we call, when we call him Jesus, when we use the word Christ as an identifier of Christ, is, is if we talk about Yahweh or Jehovah, those are things that they don't just identify God as a being, they identify God's traits in everything about him. And think about what the Bible tells us about the traits of God. The Bible tells us that God is holy. The Bible tells us that God is merciful. God is love. God is a shepherd. God is the creator. God is a ruler and God is a king. And so when we use God's name, whatever we call him by, what we're referring to is all of those traits. Very respectable traits. When you're the creator of the world, people should honor you and respect you. If you're a king, people will honor and respect you. God is the example of love. And so when we use God's name in a way that it's not meant to be used, we disgrace his identity as love and we disgrace the idea of love because his name is more than just how we talk about him. And we know this. And so we've been taught, if you've grown up in church, we've been taught, be careful what you say. And I've even heard people that aren't even church people, like they'll put up with every cuss word in the world, but somebody breaks out the GD and they're like, whoa, we don't do that here. Those others were okay, apparently. But, but we don't do that particular one here. We know to be careful of this. And, and this goes all the way back to the Jewish traditions. They were so extremely careful not, not to mess up this commandment. In Jewish traditions, and even in American Judaism today, Jews will not say the name of God unless they're in a moment of prayer. That's the only time that they will address God by a name. And, and they won't even write the word God. They won't write G-O-D for fear that they might break this commandment. They'll write G-D to make sure that they, they're being honorable to God's name and they don't disgrace it with how they write it or their bad handwriting or something like that. And when they read it, they won't read his actual name. They'll always read it as Adonai or, or they'll read it as Hashem. Hashem literally translated means the name. Have you ever had somebody that you just didn't want to say their name? And so you figured out another way to identify them besides saying their name? In high school, one of my buddies, he, uh, he broke up with his girlfriend and he was just absolutely crushed. Actually, she dumped him. Anyway, he was just absolutely crushed. He's broke down. He called me crying. And guys, when a teenage man or teenage boy starts crying, it's the saddest thing ever because they're so egotistical. And he called me crying. And so we begin to refer to this girlfriend as she who shall not be named. Because we weren't going to say her name anymore. If you can make a teenage boy cry, you've got some kind of witchcraft power and we're not going to call that evil down on us here. That's how the Jews talk about God, is they come in there and in the beginning, uh, the name that we don't say created the heavens and the earth to make sure that they are following this rule. That's where our Lord tradition comes from, where our Bible doesn't translate Yahweh or Jehovah. It puts that placeholder of Lord in there. And honoring God's identity is so important to God. It's a commandment. It's here. It's in the Bible, in the Ten Commandments. And if we know anything, we know the Ten Commandments are important. Not that everything else isn't, but we know the Ten, like the Ten, they're big. But God goes on and tells us how important this is to him. As he continues to talk through this, there's this warning in Scripture. It says, God will not hold them guiltless, or God will not hold them blameless that do this. What does that mean? 
Like, that's what caught me as I was studying this. Like, like what does it mean God won't hold them guiltless or God won't hold them blameless? Does it mean that, that I can live my life as a Christian and I get in one fight with my wife or, or I slam my hand in the car door and the wrong thing just happens to escape and God's done with me? That's it. Does it mean God's running, keeping a running tally of every verbal mistake I've made in my life that, that he's holding on to? And Jesus went to the cross for where we've committed adultery. And Jesus went to the cross for our false gods. And Jesus went to the cross for all the things that we've stolen. But when it comes down to when we get to heaven and we stand before God, it's like I see 452 times in your life that these are things I'm not going to forgive. Is that what that means when it says God will not hold him blameless? I mean, that seems, that seems drastic, doesn't it? It seems like a big deal, and it doesn't seem to match other scripture. Scripture that says he has cast our sin, all of our sin, as far as the east is from the west. Scripture that says we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, and we are held blameless before God. And yet here, this one says, I will not hold them blameless to do that. How do you marry those two things? Because it's not possible for God to say, I won't hold you blameless, and then promise to hold you blameless. How does that work? And so, as I studied this, this is what happens, is I think there's a deeper meaning here than just what we say or how we say it. I think, I think God is concerned about something a little bit deeper than if we make a, a verbal mishap when something hurts us, and I'm not going to uh, diminish that at all. But I think this is more than a simple prohibition on cussing. Because if that was all there is, the message is over. But let's, let's break it down. Let's, let's, let's dig into what God actually says here. This thing that offends him so much that he says, I will not hold them blameless that does this. Let's look at the words very carefully. It says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. If you dig into that, there's a couple words that, that pop out. A couple of words that maybe they don't flow right, or maybe I don't know what they mean. And so if, if we really dig into that, and the first one is, is the word Take. And so I went back and, and I went and looked at the Hebrew here. What, what does this mean? This is the Hebrew word Nassau. Nassau is used 644 times in the Old Testament. 644 times. 58 of those times it is translated as take. 362 times it is translated as to bear, to carry, or to pick up. And so this word Nassau that is used here, Thou shalt not nassau the Lord's name in vain. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. It has this connotation of carrying something, of picking something up, of having it on you, of physically taking it like you would take things. And never, not once is it translated, never once is it translated with the connotation of speaking, verbalizing, or writing. And we've interpreted this commandment as, be careful how you say God's name. But that's not what God said. God didn't say, don't say my name, don't verbalize, don't converse my name, don't write my name. He said, don't take. If he was worried about us verbalizing, he could have used the Hebrew words amar, which means to speak or utter. He could have used the Hebrew word dakar, which means to speak, declare, or converse. And in the Old Testament, when it talks about verbal communication, that's what the Bible uses. That's what God pours into us as those two words. But God didn't use amar. God didn't use akar, dakar. God used nasah, thou shalt not take my name in vain. So what does that mean to take God's name in vain? Is it possible that taking God's name in vain is, is more than just speech? How do, we, how do we take somebody's name in vain? How do, we, how do we carry a name? During this time, if you were a follower or a worshiper of a certain God, that became part of your identity. 
and, and it was considered that you would carry that name with you, that you, when you went somewhere, you went under the banner of this God as, as, as a follower of this God, as a representative of this God, and you would take that name with you. you. When you chose to follow that God, that would become part of your identity. And think about what we do. We're followers of Christ. What if somebody came up to you and said, what religion are you? Or they ask you, what God do you serve? What is 99% of the time, what are we going to say? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And we take that name upon us, that, that we are Christians. And because that name is an identity, we identify ourselves as following a God of those traits. And his identity, if we really take that name on us, his identity becomes part of our identity. When we're out in the world, I hope that people don't see us and think, oh, they go to church. You know what I hope they see? I hope they see God in our lives. I hope they see the way that we love God, the way that we serve God, the way that we obey God, that we live for something bigger than us. And that's what it means to carry that name, to become a Christian, is that his identity begins to shape your identity. This is our second take-home truth, is taking God's name in vain means that we let his identity begin to shape ours. And so I wonder, I wonder if we're guilty of that false advertising. I wonder if we've taken that name on ourselves, but maybe, maybe it hasn't begun to shape us. Maybe it hasn't begun to change us. The second word that, that pops out of this is the word vain. And if you look at that word, it's a word that I don't use very often. Like, I don't, I don't walk around going, I went to Walmart in vain. They didn't have the butter I was looking for. Like, we, we don't say that. The word vain just means useless or empty. That's all it means. So here's the prohibition on what God is saying in the commandment is be careful how you take, how you carry, how you have his name. Make sure that you're not doing it uselessly or empty. Don't carry his name in emptiness. And so this is talking talking to Christians who take that name upon themselves, but they carry it empty. empty. They're empty when they carry it. How about that? They carry the name with an emptiness. Like, I'll identify myself as a Christian, but you can't tell a difference between me and anybody else. And even non-believers, listen to me, even non-believers are looking at you and they may not know anything about the Bible, but they know that if you carry the name of Christian, that you should be different. And they will hate you more for not being different than they will for being different. Even non-believers understand that taking that name means something, that calling yourself by the name of Christ means something. And God understood that it would be so easy, so easy for us to take this name and let it be part of our identity, but it means nothing. It means nothing because we're empty. See, all emptiness means is that we have a shell around us, but we shouldn't because it doesn't hold anything. Imagine it like this. You guys love me, and I love y'all, so you invite me to come over for dinner one night. And this is the South, and everybody knows in the South there are certain ways that you handle being invited to dinner. So somebody says, hey, we're going to cook burgers, come over, let's hang out, we're going to have a Memorial Day party. Brian, you want to come over? I'm like, yes. And then immediately, my wife has trained me to ask, what do I need to bring? Like, I'm bringing something. It doesn't, I'm not, you, you may provide most of the meal, but I'm going to show up with something in my hands as part of this. I'm going to contribute. And you say, well, you know, we could use some drinks. And I'm like, that's my specialty. I'll bring the Dr. Pepper. 
And just so y'all know, if y'all ever go anywhere with me and expect me to bring drinks, that's what you're getting. Like, I, I want to bring the Dr. Pepper. And so I show up at your house later, and you're like, hey, thanks for inviting us over. I brought the Dr. Pepper. I've got it. This is obviously Dr. Pepper. It has, it has the name of Dr. Pepper on it. Here it is. This is obviously Dr. Pepper. And you're looking at this and going, Brian, that is, that is obviously not Dr. Pepper. That's a milk jug that you glued a Dr. Pepper logo to. And on top of that, it's, it's empty. And for some of us, that's, that's the way we're living right now. Is that we're living with this name on us. But just like that milk jug, we're, we're mislabeled. And I want y'all to know something to, to the world around you. It's this obvious. Some of you are sitting here and you know that I'm holding a picture of you. You, you know that this is how you've went about your faith. You've got that name and you've tattooed it on your, on your personality. But you know that, that it's not representative of what's really under there. You've taken the name, but you're You're empty. When I've traveled across the world, one of the hardest things that I've had to do when I'm in foreign countries is go without Dr. Pepper. You can find Coca-Cola in any country in the world. Dr. Pepper is an America thing. And, and it's hard for me. What if I took somebody from Mexico or somebody from Turkey or somebody from Italy, somebody that had never tasted Dr. Pepper, and I showed them this, this is what it is. What are they going to think? They're like, I'm not drinking that. Is that what our lives are doing? Are they false advertising? When I was growing up, my dad had this theory. My dad had this philosophy that steak was beef that you put on a grill. And so in his mind, any particular portion of beef that you put on a grill became steak and it was going to be good. And so dad would always be so excited. Guess what we're having for supper? We're having steak. I'm like, okay, good for you. You know, we're having steak. And to him, what steak meant is you go to Walmart and you get a pot roast. And you throw it on the grill and you cook it till it's well done. You know why we put pot roast in the pots is because we want them to become tender because they're tough pieces of meat. He would cook this thing until it was well done and he would serve it up and he'd be like, we're having steak and it's on the kitchen table and he cut me off a piece of it and I'd take that piece of steak or that piece of pot roast or whatever it was and I would chew on it and I would gnaw on it and it just, it ended up being like this wad of meat that just grew, like it didn't get smaller. You could never chew it. It's just this growing thing in your cheek and eventually you had to wait till somebody wasn't looking and pick up the roll and spit it out because you just couldn't chew it. It was horrible. And so as I got older and I got to be a teenager, people would ask me, hey, you want to go, we're going to grill some steaks. You want to come over? It's like, no, thanks. I, I don't like steak. What do you mean you don't like steak? I was like, I don't like steak. It's horrible. It's always tough. I don't like it. It doesn't taste good. I'm not going to eat it. You know why I didn't like steak? Because I'd never had one. And there's a lot of people in this world and they don't like Christians and they don't like God. You know why? Because they've never met someone. They, they've fallen guilty and pray to false advertising. Somebody walking around with a label of a Christian who has taken the name of Christ upon themselves but has been empty of him. And as Christians, that is not what we want. We want God to be glorified in our lives. I hope with everything that when people look at me, they don't see Brian. I hope that they see God. I pray every Sunday, God, don't let people come to this church and see the pastor. Let them see you in me. Every single Sunday and every day we walk out, that's what we should be wanting. But people cannot see something in you that is not in you. They can't see it in you if you're wearing a label. And this is why I'm so passionate about cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is what a lot of us here in the Deep South grew up in. 
it was, it was the sense that there was a time when all good people went to church and the church had political power. And if you wanted to be anybody, you better be part of a church. And people knew the Ten Commandments. And people knew that you should do this and do that. And they took on the label of Christian upon themselves. But our churches were full of people that were empty of God. Our churches were full of people that went because it was a habit and it's what culture said they could do, not because they really knew God. And it is so dangerous both to us and to the world when people look at us and they say, all I have to do to be a Christian is to take the name, take the label, but it doesn't change anything else. James 1.26 says this. He, he addresses this issue. He says, if any man, listen to this, appears religious but does not bridle his tongue, his religion is in, oh, there's that word again, is in vain. His religion is empty. And so James is addressing something in the first century church, something that's happening in Christians who walk the earth at the same time as Christ did, is that these people appear religious on the outside. They've got the name, they've got the label, and they carry it. They go to church and they pretend like they know God. But here's what he says, their religion is vain. Their religion is empty. The inside doesn't match the outside. They're false advertisers. And so when we go out into the world and we claim to know God and we're hateful to people, you know what that says? Is that our God is hateful to people. When we go out into the world and we claim to be a Christian and we go to church and we live hypocritically, what people think about our God is that we have a hypocritical God. When we claim the inherency of Scripture and we quote Scripture but we don't live by it, you know what people think? Is they think the Scripture doesn't matter or it would change them. And what we've ended up doing in our lives is we've ended up shooting ourselves in the foot and then we walk around and say, why does nobody want to come to church and why can't I lead people to Christ and why is there so much hatred for Christians? It's because they've never met one. They don't know what it's like to be around a Christian who lives the way that God has called us to live. And this is what God says about us when we live that way. When we take the label, but nothing changes within us, he says, I will not find them blameless. I won't find them not guilty of people who take my identity to the world in that way. I won't put up with it because they're doing damage to people's souls. Our last take-home truth is this, is that God doesn't want us to have his name and be empty of him. And as we look into the scripture, every time we look into the scripture, it should shine a light and a reflection on us. And some of us are sitting here today and you know, you know you're empty. This, this little example here just, just reminds you of, of what you look like. You, you're trying your best and, and you're putting on the label and you're acting right, but, but you know. You know that you know the church and you know that you know the rules, but you don't know God. And you're living empty of Him. Brother Danny, if you want to come this way. And if that's you and you're sitting here, it's got to be hard to keep pretending. It's got to be horrible to sit in a church every Sunday and know that, that what you're doing is not really what's on the inside. And I've got news for you today is while God says that that's something he's not going to let go, while God says that's something he won't find you blameless for, that, that's for people who do that before, before they come to know him, before they accept him. And so if you're sitting here today and you're like, Brian, I've, 
I've been falsely advertising. I know that what I put off on the outside doesn't match the inside. Today is the day you can make it right. You don't have to pretend anymore. You don't, you don't have to, to sit in a, in a church and try to act good. You can have the real thing. I just want to tell you that it's the best decision and the easiest thing you'll ever do is to put your faith in Him. So if that's you, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to just pray with you while you pray by yourself. But let this be a moment where you look at your own heart and ask, am I empty of what I claim to be?